Well, good morning, Park Chapel. Good morning. Wow, there's an echo in here. Do you feel... <laughs> I'm not used to echoes unless I'm down in the hills of Tennessee. I, I'm pretty sure that's not where I'm at this morning. But it's good to welcome you. Uh, in case some of you may be wondering who I am, I'm David Woods. I'm the old retired pastor here that... Uh, they're bringing out from the junkyard and putting it back into uh, service. No, I've, uh, I've enjoyed uh, last year uh, bringing the end of the year message and Pastor David was very nice to let me have this privilege to do that again this year because uh, I just think the last Sunday of the year going into the new year is a, is a very important time for a church. Because I think it's a time of, of when we can be reminded of who we are and what we should be doing. I remember uh, last year I did a message having read Billy Crystal's biography. I know you're supposed to preach from the Bible, but uh, I had read Billy Crystal's biography and it struck me that, uh, that the church needs to be reminded that we are the uh, conveyor of hope to the world. Because uh, Billy's uh, incident with his rabbi for his bar mitzvah was a situation of where he was so looking forward to the bar mitzvah. And especially when he had watched his brother uh, go through it and at the close of it, he goes up to the rabbi and the rabbi whispers something to uh, his brother. And he always wondered, and it was supposed to be a, a secret that you carried to the grave. So his brother never told him what it was. And he always wondered what the rabbi told his brother. And so he was so excited to come to his bar mitzvah. And he got to that moment where he went up to the rabbi who was able, who, who whispered a very important thing to him. And he was so disappointed because it was simply a nonsensical word. It didn't, it didn't mean anything. It was, it was nothing of direction. It wasn't, you know, I thought, Billy Crystal, if you'd come to me, not that I would have been able to do a bar mitzvah, but if you wanted something to be whispered to you, I would whisper, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. You see, that's the kind of message that brings hope. Not some kind of a silly word that... Uh, that the rabbi whispered into Billy's ear. So I always come to this moment thinking we need to again rethink what we exist to do. What our in, in, important role is and to be reminded again particularly as we see the time appearing. The time of Jesus coming. And as we witness around us the events that are becoming more tense and creating more tension in our world. I don't know that any of us in this room is not aware, unless it's some of these real small ones, of the growing tension within our culture and within our world. It's, it's unlike anything that I ever remember in my days of, of growing up. So when we talk about this message at the end of the year, there are two scriptures that come to me. One of them comes out of the time of Jeremiah, and the other one is the text that uh, was in the 
sermon plan for the year uh, for this Sunday as David led us and, and he preached through the Bible and come to the, come to the Revelation 21 text. But the text I want to read first comes out of Jeremiah and it uh, begins in, the, let me see here for sure. Nothing like notes. Uh, 30, it begins at verse 6 of uh, Jeremiah 37. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained of them only wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn this city with fire. Now let me tell you something. That's not the kind of message that a preacher wants to give to a king to a government, high government official, to say, no matter what you do, this city is under judgment, and it is going to be burned. And Jeremiah didn't want to carry that message. I don't know how familiar you are with Jeremiah the prophet. You may be more familiar uh, with the song that Three Dog Night had out several years ago about... Uh, Jeremiah. Do you remember the, the first verse of that? Jeremiah was a... Yeah, see? And you know, and, and you say you have trouble memorizing scripture. You can, you can memorize the lyrics to a song. And some people thought that that song was really about this prophet Jeremiah who went to Judah, the king of Judah, with this message of God that said, uh, no matter what you're going to do, this city's going to burn. Uh, and so... This Jeremiah was a, uh, was a kind of a reluctant prophet to want to bring that message because it was a very, very strong message of destruction. And uh, some people thought that Jeremiah, well, this was a song about Jeremiah the prophet and the bullfrog is the prophet and, and all of that. There's all kinds of Ideas about that song, Jeremiah, start of Jeremiah was bullfrog. Had nothing to do with the prophet Jeremiah. Had nothing to do with this message at all. But the message that this Jeremiah brought is an important message for us. Because it speaks to the idea that you live, when you want to live in disobedience, then you can expect God's judgment on you. That was the message that Jeremiah carried. Now, King Zedekiah didn't like it. In fact, he put Jeremiah in jail for saying what he said. But Jeremiah said, you know, God has told me to tell you this. And if you don't, it, there's nothing that you can do that's going to change the outcome. The Chaldeans are going to come... Zedekiah thought that he could get an audience with Egypt, and Egypt would come in and help them defeat the Chaldeans. But what happened was that Egypt saw the enemy coming in, and they said, no, we don't want any part of this. 
And so they left, and so Judah was left between what we would call in Brown County, where I grew up, between a rock and a hard place. Because there wasn't going to be anything that was going to change. And, and the whole point of the scripture tells us that we need to not deceive ourselves. Because there's a price to be paid for living in disobedience to God. That's, that's the message that really Jeremiah carried to King Zedekiah, who was supposed to have been a faithful servant of God, but he wasn't. And the whole nation of Judah had gone over to idolatry and, and everything that was not God-honoring. And so this message that he brings is this message of judgment. There's a price to be paid for living in disobedience to God. My friends, that has not changed. That's just not true for Judah. It's true for the United States of America. It's true for every one of us who choose to live in disobedience to God. There's a price to be paid for it. And we have seen it. Uh, in the experience of our lives, we are seeing it in the experience of the tension that we are sensing and feeling and seeing in our country. The things that we are calling right and they're wrong. The immorality that, that is being endorsed. The kind of things that are being brought into our education systems for our children. Some of those influences throughout the country are just things that are disobedient to God. And I know there's that idea of separation. Keep, keep the, what's in the church to church. But let me tell you something. Scripture involves everyone and everything in every nation, every culture of the world. Scripture truth does not change in the basis of where someone grows up or, or where they live or where they work. It always remains consistent. And so Jeremiah's message is not a popular message. It's not something that we, we want to hear. But it's true. If you live in disobedience, there's the price to be paid. But now we get to a message that another messenger, John the Apostle, carried to us and, and to the churches that he served in Asia. He was also the pastor, the church of Ephesus. This is the disciple, John is the disciple here in the book of Revelation, who kind of felt like he had a close relationship with Jesus. He identified himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that kind of, I kind of thought it, it that, that might tick off the other disciples a little bit. I mean, you go into a family gathering that you, that you haven't seen all your relatives for years, come together for Christmas, and, and you go to your brother or your sister, and you say, I'm the son that my mama loves. <laughs> you know, that's not, that doesn't do well at family gatherings. But John, John was not meaning a special privilege over the other disciples. He just, he just was a, a, a follower of Christ that loved him so much that he just felt a bonding with Jesus. And not that he was elevated over the others. He just loved the idea that he's a disciple 
who has been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, you know what? Every one of you in this room is someone that Jesus loves personally and dearly. Every one of you in this room is a person that Jesus went to the cross for to pay for your sins. Every one of you. And every one of us can say who have been brought under the blood of Christ and have been washed free, you know, of, of our sins. Every one of us can say, I'm the person that Jesus loves. Jesus loves me. Remember your, the first song that you probably ever sang in Sunday school when you were a child? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. And so John is, John is that kind of a follower of Jesus. And this message that he writes in Revelation 21 is a little different message than what Jeremiah had to deliver to uh, the king of Judah. Here's what John writes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now John's message was a little different from Jeremiah's. He preached one central message. It was this, remain true to the risen Christ. No matter what, remain true to Jesus. The dramatic setting that John speaks from is in the very throne room of heaven where the Father is seated and the Father is holding a scroll, which is a, a rolled up book, and it is sealed in its rolled up uh, nature with seals that hold it together, that hold the message inside. And John's moved to tears because this is a book that needs to be opened. It needs to be read. And there's no one worthy in the throne room to take that book and to open it and to release the events on earth that will lead to the ultimate uh, uh, championship of the world, so to speak. The ultimate outcome of what God is going to do. And then he sees a creature that looks like a lion. And he calls him the Lion of Judah. It's actually a person who he's seeing is Jesus. And he sees the Lion of Judah. 
and he walks into heaven. I believe this is what occurred when Jesus ascended from the earth. After 40 days after the resurrection, there was the ascension. And I think this scene that John describes happens at that moment where Jesus enters heaven again. And he goes up and he takes that scroll and he releases the events on earth that leads to the ultimate victory over sin and death and hell and Satan. And we are living in those days of those seals, of those events. We're seeing judgments and the disastrous events on earth, godly principles of morality compromise, truths of scripture being altered by religious institutions and religious people groups. And the words in Revelation 21 that God is going to make everything new, I am convinced are the best words ever written on the pages of the greatest book ever written. God is going to make everything new. And the last three chapters of Revelation focus on two things. Satan's fourth quarter push to win his unwinnable battle against God. And the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem that represents to save the people made holy by God. Everything that sin has polluted and destroyed will be made new by God. And so we have Jeremiah giving this message of there's no hope. You're, you're under destruction. God's going to take down the city of Jerusalem. Even if there's one Babylonian soldier that is still left standing, he will burn this city down. No hope. And then you have the words of John, who give us the words of Jesus. Behold, I'm making everything new. I don't know about you, but I need some things made new. I'm looking forward to a new body for, for one, one thing. I'm looking forward to, uh, to having uh, my mind sharper. It never was very sharp, but... To have it sharper, to have all of those things restored that I feel a sense of loss about. I live like you live in an imperfect world. But Jesus says, now you've got to take these words and in, 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 in the impact of them. I am going to make everything, everything new. Everything new. So as I think about what God is going to do, I think about the choices that I need to make and you need to make. What do you need to make new in your commitment to Jesus in the new year? We have, we have this time. We don't know how much time we have, but in my spirit, I kind of sense that the time is short. As I see events, destructive uh, natural disasters and relationships between nations deteriorating and just the frequency and the intensity and the tension that I know you feel and I feel in our world. And I think about how long, how long do we have? There are important decisions that we all need to make. Some of you have made the most important decision as to who is your Savior and who's your leader of your life? Jesus. But maybe some of you here have not made that commitment. Maybe some of you need to make a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. But there may be other decisions that need to be made in this place.
And I begin to think about what decisions, as we enter into a new year, what decisions have been left unmade by people? And I got to thinking, you know, you, one of those decisions is that you can obey the gospel. You can, you can actually bring the truth of the gospel into your life by obeying the gospel if you've not done that. You can learn the gospel. You say, well, I don't know what the gospel is. Well, you can learn the gospel. I can help you with that. Our staff can help you with that. Our leaders in the church can help you with that. We can explain the gospel to you. I know there's some terms and language, and, and, and language that is used in a church ease type of uh, gathering. But those things can be explained in, in simpler terms. And we can help you with that. You can learn how to present the gospel. There's a, a wonderful way of presenting the gospel. And, and my guess is that, is that by and large within the church, there's not very many people who know how to present the gospel. Now, you know what you did uh, to come to Christ. But how do you communicate that to others? We can help you with that. I believe the time is short. I'll just be very plain about it. I have no, I have no uh, revelation that has come to me except to just simply keep my eye on the times. And as I look at our times, I believe the time is short. And if you're here today and you've not, if you've never considered making your commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I ask you, why not? If, if, if you know that this is the most important decision in your life, and it makes the difference between eternal life and eternal hell, why would you not take that decision seriously? That rabbi should have whispered in Billy Crystal's ear, Jesus is Lord and you need Jesus in your life. That's what he should have told him. And I'm telling you today that if you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord, you need to make that decision. You do not need to put it off and off and off. Because Jesus paid the price for your sins. And your eternal life depends upon it. I don't know if we have a month or a year or 10 years or 20 years. But I believe the time is short. And there are others of you who have commitments that fall into the area of how faithful are you going to be? How committed are you going to be to living out the truths of Jesus in your life? Remember, he has promised you that he's going to make everything new. All things new. For eternity. So, today uh, we're going to close our service as we normally do with communion, except... There will be one uh, additional part to it. I've always uh, uh, liked to give a, a public invitation when the gospel is preached. We do it in different ways here. But uh, the, old, the old way that I used to do it was just simply say, we've got the opportunity for you to come today. If you've not made Jesus Lord of your life during this communion time,
you can simply come up here quietly to the front. Pastor David and one of our elders, Chris uh, Weber, will be up here and they will uh, talk with you and pray with you and help you with that decision. Nick is going to come and sing a, a song that goes way, way back, but it, it's a song that's so relevant for today. And during that song, uh, he, uh, as he sings it, you have the opportunity to just quietly come out of your seat and come up here and sit, and we will help you with that decision. This is an opportunity that, uh, that will impact eternity. And so as you take your cup today, those of you who have made Jesus Christ Lord of your life and he is your savior, he's your surety for your future, for your eternal life. You think about these elements, the, the juice and the bread. That's, I know it doesn't look like a cross, but that's the cross. That's the body and the blood, not literally, but spiritually, that has paid for my salvation and the salvation of every one of you here who have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I invite you during this time, I'm going to have a word of prayer for our communion. If you want to come during this time, David and Chris will be up here to, to serve you and to minister to you in whatever decision it is that you need to make. Father, I pray. I pray that, that the seed that is sown with your word will be a seed that will plant itself deeply in people's lives, people in this room. I pray that as we reflect upon this last day of 2023 and we realize that we have the hope of tomorrow. Lord, we, we have no time table in our minds. We, we really don't know. You have said that no one knows except Jesus himself, the time of his appearing. So I pray that, uh, Lord, this will also remind us of our readiness and the anticipation of the one who will make all things new for us. In Jesus' name, amen.